All right, well, today is our, uh, the last sermon in our series uh, called God With Us. It's a Christmas and Advent series. We've looked at the genealogy of Jesus. We've studied the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. And today we'll be focusing on the journey of some unexpected visitors from the East. So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. I think it would be helpful for you to keep your Bibles opened the whole time as we're going throughout the sermon um, so you can follow along. Um, but please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's read. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where, was the, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. We pray that as we study it this morning, that we not only hear it, but Lord, that we are transformed by it. Teach us and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so everything surrounding the birth and the childhood of Jesus was unusual, right? We've seen this, the virgin birth. The pronouncement of the angels being born in a manger, being God's own son. And the passage this morning continues with these unusual events. But out of all the stories surrounding the birth of Jesus, this is the one that gets the most embellishment, the most drama. So much has been read into this story that we have lost its true meaning. You can drive down the street from here and see a nativity scene where there's 
three men with crowns on their heads kneeling before baby Jesus. At some point, we crazy Christians have even given them names, Melchon, Balthasar, and Gasper. I didn't know that, but apparently that's their names, even though they're not there in Matthew's Gospel. The problem with this is the fact that there is no evidence in Matthew's Gospel that there were only three wise men. Have you ever thought about that? Just because there were three different gifts given to Jesus doesn't mean there were only three men. And they were not kings. There's a song written, We Three Kings, but they were not kings. They had no crowns. They were in search of the king. And there's no evidence that they were there for the birth of Jesus or even shortly after. Most likely they visited Jesus when he was around one to one and a half years old. Some of you here probably already knew that, and some of you here are probably hearing it for the first time. I remember the first time when someone told me about this, and I felt like I was on a mission to correct, to correct the nativity. So anytime I was at someone's house and they had the nativity scene and they had their wise men there, I would grab them and I'd bring them in another room somewhere in the east. <laughs> so don't be surprised if I come over to your house and you have a nativity scene if your wise men are missing. Woman's. <laughs> I did it to them this week. <laughs> All kidding aside, I don't want to upset any of you. I know we have these traditions. And like I mentioned before, these embellishments, these additions um, that have been handed down through tradition have watered down truly what the story is all about. And so that's what I'm mainly focused on this morning. There's going to be three sections to my sermon. Um, we will see God's witness through his creation. We will see God's witness through his word and God's witness through his son. And the main point, the thing I hope you leave here knowing this morning is that Jesus is the promised shepherd king of the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus is the promised shepherd king of the Jews and the Gentiles. So first we notice God's witness through creation. Look again at verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east <clears throat> and came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who had been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Matthew gives us a little context here. He doesn't give us many details about the birth of Jesus, like the Gospel of Luke does, but he tells us this story occurs after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And his birth occurred during the reign of King Herod. And at this time, wise men from the east show up in the city of Jerusalem asking questions about a newborn king. Depending on the translation you are using, these men that come from the east are either called wise men or magi. Magi were the scientists of the day who observed and studied the stars and the sky. 
and through astrology and interpreting dreams, they claim to uncover hidden truths. They believe that the positioning of the stars and the planets affect the way events occur in history. They were scholars and they were very familiar with the wisdom of the day. And they were also from the East. They could have been from Persia, Babylon, or Arabia. We don't know exactly where they came from, but we do know they came from the East. They came from a Gentile and pagan nation. They were not Jews. They were not the people of God. The mention of the Magi, again, would draw the attention of Matthew's readers. They would have had Jeremiah 10 in mind while reading this, where the Lord says, Learn not the ways of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. God had told the people not to adopt the practices of other nations, and that included connecting the signs in the sky with idol worship. And so those reading Matthew's gospel would have wondered, why are these Gentile pagans mentioned here? But these wise men are there, and they enter Jerusalem because they saw, they saw a star in the sky, and somehow they thought that it was associated with the birth of the king of the Jews. I mean, what an interesting situation. Here are these pagan Gentile scientist astrologers who see a star in the sky and just leave wherever they lived in order to find a child associated with that star. And it's estimated that whether they were from Babylon or from Arabia, they traveled at least 800 miles to get to Jerusalem. 800 miles, that's a long journey, right? It was also a risky journey. Traveling through the desert meant that they had to face wild animals, robbers. Remember, they had those expensive gifts. Traveling through the desert also meant an extreme heat during the day and a chilling cold at night. The journey was long and risky. But these men, we don't know how many of them there were, these men were determined to follow this star. But two questions definitely arise right away. What kind of star was this? And how did they associate a child with the star, right? What kind of star was this? Many astronomers and biblical historians, AKA smart people, <laughs> have debated over the years on whether this star was a planetary alignment of Jupiter and Saturn, or if it was a comet, or even a supernova. It could be easy to go down that rabbit hole and get really stuck. I could give you a fun science lesson, but we're here to preach the Bible here, and maybe it's a more appropriate approach to consider this occurrence to be something that was miraculous, supernatural. Whether it was a natural occurrence or not, God was involved. The star appeared while these men were in the east and then reappears over the place where the child was. 
God meets these men where they were at. They were looking at the sky because that's what they did. Think about this. God is the one who made the stars in the sky. He's the one who sent this star to draw them to the Messiah. Here we see God's witness through creation. But how did they associate the birth of a child with this star? I wish I could give you a good answer, but I can't because we don't know. We don't know how they made this connection. It's possible that they had been exposed to the Old Testament scriptures um, from Jews who were living in the East. Remember, we studied the genealogy, and the Jews were deported to Babylon. So maybe there were some Jews left over in Babylon who were speaking and testifying to the Messiah in the Old Testament scriptures, and these guys heard a scripture like Numbers 24:17, which says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star, a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. You could imagine how a prophecy like this could gain the interest of a stargazer from the east. Somehow these men were in agreement that this star was his star, the star of the newborn king of the Jews. And so these magi, these Gentile astrologers, enter the city of Jerusalem and ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And not only do they ask where he is, but they tell us why they came. Do you see that in the text here? Why did they come? In, in verse 2, they came to worship him. These pagan Gentile scientists came to worship him. Do you see what Matthew is doing in this passage? He's reiterating what he has already alluded to. The Gentiles are included in the kingdom of God. We saw this when Matthew mentioned the Gentile women in the genealogy. This king, this Messiah, is drawing Gentile sinners to himself. This is good news. These men represent the nations seeking the king of the Jews. God is at work in fulfilling his promise to Abraham to bless the nations. And in this, we see God's sovereign plan played out. We see his far-reaching mercy. In Exodus, God tells Moses that he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. God draws these Gentile sinners to himself through his creation, through a star. God takes the initiative. Do you notice that? A lot of sermons are about the initiative of these men. No, God takes the initiative here. He meets these wise men in their own context and communicates to them in a way in which they could understand. I'm sure some of us have had similar experiences like that, where God has met us where we were at. 
and started to draw us closer to himself. Maybe you're here or listening online. Maybe God is meeting you where you are at and drawing you closer to himself. For these wise men, God placed a miraculous star in the sky to witness to them through his creation. In the next set of verses, we're going to see God witnessing to them through his word. See, the Magi go to Jerusalem because that's the place where you go if you're going to find a king, right? It's the capital. Jerusalem is where King David reigned. They expected to find the child in a palace. The star in the sky, God's general revelation through his creation, only get the Magi so far. They're not at Bethlehem yet. They're in Jerusalem. But we will see that they are brought to God's word. Take a look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And assembling all the chief people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. While the wise men weren't kings, they were in search of a king. And here we have two kings mentioned in this account. As the wise men are inquiring where they would find the newborn king, word gets around to King Herod. And this troubles him. You see, Herod is not a good king. Herod is an evil, evil king. And he is troubled at the idea of a rival to his throne. He had become king of the Jews through his relationships with the Romans because he knew how to keep order and he was a great builder. But he was a harsh king. And the Jewish people despised having him as their king. The people feared Herod. Rightly so, because history records that Herod killed his killed his mother and he killed his three sons because he felt threatened by them. Augustus, the Roman emperor, once said that it was safer to be Herod's pig. He felt threatened all the time. And now news comes to him that there is one who by birth has claim to the throne. Herod is troubled. All Jerusalem is troubled. Maybe because they fear what Herod is going to do. Herod gets all these religious leaders in the city together and asks them where the Christ was to be born. And these guys knew. Herod asked the question, where is the Christ going to be born? And they knew. They got the answer right away. They knew the Old Testament scriptures that prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Look at that. In verses 5 and 6, Matthew shows us that Jesus' birth fulfills the Scriptures. He quotes Micah 5.2 and a little bit of 2 Samuel 5.2. Look at verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. 
For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Here we see God using his word to give those who are seeking Jesus greater clarity. God's witnessing through his word. Isn't that the case with our own lives? You can be seeking God and not know much about him until you get to his word. His word reveals who he is. Here in this text, the Messiah, the Savior King, is said to be born in Bethlehem. God brings the wise men to the city of Jerusalem so that they hear the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus' birth from the word of God. So the chief priests and scribes, they tell Herod exactly what time the child is supposed to be born. And so Herod gets the wise men together, and he secretly asks them, Where did you, what, or what time did you see this star? He's inquiring. He's plotting. He's getting some insider information to plan on what he's going to do next. And then he sends them off to Bethlehem. Herod is such a con man, right? He is a con man. Because he tells them, when you find him, Send me word, and I'll come and worship him. The wise men don't know that this is out of character for Herod, but we do. This is an evil, evil lie. Herod does not plan on worshiping the child. He plans on getting rid of his troubles. He plans on getting rid of the threat. He plans on killing the child. And we know this because in verses 13 through 15, an angel of the Lord comes to David again and tells him to flee to Egypt. Why? Because Herod seeks to destroy Jesus. And then in verses 16 through 18, Herod kills all the male children in Bethlehem and the surrounding regions who were two years old and under. So it's possible when Herod met with the wise men and asked them in secret, when did you see the star? He used that information in order to determine how old the child would be. And since Herod kills children two years old and under, most scholars and commentators agree that Jesus was probably around one years old to one and a half years old when the wise men visited him. But let's look back at the text, verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The star brought them to Jerusalem to hear God's word. And now the star brings them to Bethlehem to see Jesus and worship him. The wise men leave Jerusalem. This star reappears, and it rests over the house where Jesus is. And they rejoice with great joy at seeing God is at work in the lives of these men. But notice who isn't with him. Have you ever thought about this? 
who isn't with them. Wouldn't some of the people of Jerusalem be interested in going with the Magi to see the child who they said was born king of the Jews? What about the chief priests and scribes? They were the ones who knew what city the Messiah was going to be born. And Bethlehem was only six miles away from Jerusalem. God's own people, those who knew the word, those who were waiting for the Messiah to come, had the answer to the Magi's question, but they were not interested in seeking Jesus. The Magi traveled over 800 miles because they longed for something. This reminds us of what John writes in John 1, 11. He, Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came to his chosen people, the Jews, and they did not receive him. Matthew is displaying this contrast in his gospel, but we also see God's plan unfolding, fulfilling this promise made to Abraham that the nations would be blessed. These pagan men are at Jesus' doorstep rejoicing, and yet the people of God are back in Jerusalem, not interested. J.C. Ryle shares this observation. How often the very persons who live nearest to the means of grace are those who neglect them the most. How often the very persons who live nearest to the means of grace, the means of grace, his word, prayer, worship, are those who neglect them the most. Let that not be said of us. Of us who have been brought into God's kingdom. Let us not be a people that are only familiar with the Bible, but are unfamiliar with the God of the Bible. Let us not be content with only knowing about God, but let us be seeking to know God more. Let us not be a people who, when unbelieving people come into our lives and they're seeking Jesus, we just give them a passage and then say, go on your way. Let us be a people who sees those who are far off and say, come, come to Jesus. Like I mentioned in this story, it's a story of two kings. We've seen the king in Jerusalem who lives in a palace. Now this story points to another king who's in a house in Bethlehem. God witnesses through his son. Let's look at verse 11. His mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, 
gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Could you imagine the scene here? Mary is with the almost two-year-old baby Jesus in this house. And these men, it could have been four men, it could have been 40 men, no matter the number, they definitely looked a lot different than Mary and Joseph being from another nation. And then also keep in mind, this is a very poor situation. This is an unexpected place for a king. There was no throne. There was no wealth. Nothing saying this boy is the king of the Jews. But they see the young child and they fall down and worship him. And notice the text says that they worshipped him. They didn't worship the family. They didn't worship Mary. They worshipped Jesus. The Magi came looking for a king, not a God. But before them is God incarnate. The God who made the stars in the sky. The God who made them. The God who from the very beginning planned for them to come to Bethlehem is before their eyes. One commentator wrote, their hearts must have beheld what their eyes didn't see. Because what do they do after they see him? They fell down and worshipped him and gave him gifts. These wise men didn't bow to Herod, but they fell down before Jesus, the true king. The wise men sacrificed their time, their treasure, and their safety to find the king and offered him things that cost him, cost them. Do you sacrifice your time, your treasure, your safety, your reputation to worship him? Or only when it's convenient for you? There are many things in our lives in which we sacrifice that are not worth it. The story of the wise men proves that Jesus is worth it. While the wise left without their gold, without their without their myrrh, they left shepherd king who came to bless them, to save them from their sins. And after this encounter with Jesus, the king of the Jews, they're warned in a dream. God intervenes through a dream not to return to Herod, and they go back to their own country another way. In this account, we see that Jesus is the true king of the Jews. Kingship belonged to him from birth. Herod felt threatened by a little boy, and he was right to be troubled because he's no ordinary king. He is the king of kings. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says this, I saw in the night visions, 
And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is the son of Abraham who blesses the nations. The son of David whose kingdom will last forever. Jesus is the one who will save his people from their sins. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And here in chapter 2, Matthew does something very interesting, but it's very subtle. Being led by the Holy Spirit, he quotes Micah 2, or Micah 5 2, but then adds a little bit. He adds, Who will shepherd my people, Israel, which comes from 2 Samuel. This happens sometimes in the New Testament, and the reason for it is for one scripture to illuminate another one. So the quote from Micah speaks of this promised ruler, and then the addition of 2 Samuel is used to explain what type of ruler he will be. The newborn king of the Jews will shepherd his people. He will not be an oppressive king like Herod or like many of the kings that went before him. Jesus is the shepherd king who will care for his sheep, who will protect them, who will guide them, who will lead them, who will heal them, and eventually and ultimately give up his life for them. He is unlike any of the other kings who have gone before him. This king humbled himself from his birth until his death on the cross. And so therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the, to the glory of God the Father. There is salvation in no one else. As Peter proclaims in the book of Acts, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so my encouragement to you this morning is like the wise men, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Isaiah writes, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. If you seek him like the wise men, if you turn from your wicked, there's salvation in Jesus. So in conclusion, there's a couple responses to Jesus Christ. There's a couple responses to Jesus Christ. 
The first one, you can see Jesus as a threat, like Herod. Our sinful nature doesn't want a king to rule over us. We want control. We want to rule our own lives and do whatever we want, whenever we want. The problem with this is the fact that we... Our kingship is just like Herod, selfish. And like Herod, you too should be troubled that the Christ has come. Because he is the king. He is the ruler over the whole world. And one day he will bring judgment on all. You cannot save yourself. And so I urge you to seek King Jesus and bow down before him. Because what you will realize is that his rule over your life will bring Peace, joy, safety, and salvation. So that's the first thing. So you can see Jesus as a threat like Herod, but you can also be apathetic like people, like the people of God in Jerusalem. <clears throat> they knew the Bible, and yet their hearts were far from God. <clears throat> they were comfortable, and they refused to take God seriously. They heard a report that matched the prophecies, and yet they did nothing. Don't be content with the routine of Sunday school and Sunday morning service. Dig into God's Word. Seek fellowship with Him throughout the week. Your entire life should be dedicated to knowing Him more. Your journey didn't end when Jesus saved you. It only began and that's not saying that you're not going to mess up. I just want to make this clear. We all do. None of us are perfect. We sin. We neglect prayer. We neglect pr reading God's word. We hurt others. We become indifferent about things. But there's grace because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The reminder of God's far-reaching mercy and grace should lead us to repent of our sins. Believe and seek him more. So you can see Jesus as a threat like Herod. You can be apathetic like the people of God in Jerusalem. Or you can see Jesus for who he is. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And seek to worship him with your whole hearts. Sacrificing your time, your treasure, and your safety like the wise men from the east. Jesus is the promised shepherd king of the Jews and the Gentiles. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your far-reaching mercy. And Lord, we confess that we are a sinful people and do not deserve your grace and your love, but you have shown it in the incarnation of your son Jesus. But we also confess that we make horrible kings, horrible rulers of our own lives. We confess that we often reject your rule. Help us to submit, to kneel down, and to worship King Jesus. He is the shepherd king who loves us and cares for us, who's laid his life down 
for the sheep. Lord, we pray that as we celebrate Christmas this next week, that we do not forget the true meaning of the holiday, that we remember the greatest gift of all, Jesus, the one who saves us from all our sins. In his name we pray, amen.